Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Artistry Podcast, a podcast about the struggles of creating art, design, games, and all that sort of stuff. My name is Sev. And I'm Jay. And we have a special guest today with uh, our friend Martin. Martin. <laughs> hey, everybody. Uh, <laughs> uh, he's Sev a... and I are... Sorry, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, well, uh, Sev and I are only experts on all that is art, obviously. Um, Obviously, this is our. Uh, we decided to get uh, the Europe's finest lawyer, and um, somebody who was the best Pokemon RPG community manager in his prime. <laughs> a terrible singer, Marty. Welcome. All right. Say a few words to the art gang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks for welcoming, welcoming me, guys. Um, well, uh, I guess uh, I, I don't know how to introduce myself better than you've introduced me already. Um, <laughs> As a horrible perfect. singer. Yeah, that's kind of harsh. Uh, you that know, was words, harsh. I words hurt for you. a little. Words hurt, you know, but it's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll survive. Uh, we will like Martin is a is a lawyer, and he particularly specializes in copyright uh, law. So we can already imagine that you, there's a lot of questions and artists might have about what what is legal or what is safe to do in t in types of in, in creating. And Martin is basically here trying to help us on to get over that. What I will say, though, is that uh, Martin is also uh, one of my first editor and my, probably my investor as well on the book that I wrote, uh, The Crystal yeah, yeah. Saga. So he also, he's a man Link of many talents. Yeah, he's a man of many <laughs> talents. He edits, he's a lawyer, he, he sings, he plays basketball. He actually has a, a podcast with his brother, um... Uh, bags the rona rants a little podcast he did w during his uh covid period where he actually they have like this episode where they speak about their relationship about their passions and all that which is really in debt and we might put it on the link down below if you're interested in hearing more about martin uh elsewhere but mm -hmm. now the goal of this of this episode we will talk about art today but rather an we'll not talk about art today sorry but rather an important related topic intellectual property and copyright as usual, you'll find detailed information in the description down below. Mm -hmm. So, Martin, would you just uh, briefly uh, tell us about your experience and why would we care to listen to what you have to say? Like, what is your, you know, uh, what's your experience in this regard? Why hmm. do we care? Well, fuck if I know, dude. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's the um, end of the podcast. Thank you very much, guys. Okay, um, so uh, as Sev mentioned, uh, one of my specialties as a lawyer is intellectual property law in general. So that includes copyright, but also trademarks. And I dabble a bit in in patents, uh, but it's not really my 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 main focus. Nowadays, I work more on privacy and data protection matters, but my master's degree was in IP law, and it was basically my first passion in uh, in the legal field, so to say. I mean, probably it's the reason why I didn't uh, um, quit becoming a lawyer after law school, because I kind of pushed through law school, uh, but then the master's really like brought my interest into the law back. I, I wanted to see how I could connect the law to... I don't know, video games, books, movies, uh, what have you, you know, creativity. And IP you, is exactly that. So you had a hard time uh, finishing your master's. Uh, what actually motivated you to get into law? Oh, well, I didn't have a hard time finishing the master's. That was actually quite easy for me because it was very engaging. It was much better than the, the degree. 
Why did I get into law? I don't like answering that question because I think it's a, 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 it was a, a good choice but a poor decision. All right. Because oh, and, wow, that's that's deep. That's like yeah, perfect for a podcast. It's kind of personal, but basically, um, I was all set to be a, a video game developer. Like I wanted to get into computer science. That's kind of that's kind of why I asked because you do. You're like yeah, you remember right? You remember. yeah yeah. Because we were we were in high school together, seven so I. Uh, so I was all set for that, but then, like in the last year, I started to get into. I got into debate club. I was uh, putting in my head that I wanted to to do something around debating. Uh, this was a lot to do also with my with my girlfriend at the time, who is still my current girlfriend, who was going into law. And I thought, yeah, maybe I should follow her. So it was Aww. kind of a yeah. It was it was kind of a decision a horrible, out of horrible uh, decision. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was it was born out of uh, I think it was more born out of fear than anything else, but ultimately it mm. turned out to be a really good idea because I think I was I was I wasn't a very social guy back then, and the law like the law degree forces you to interact with people and to learn more about other people, how to deal with people, how to speak with people who are you know arguing against you in a way that's civilized. I think if I had gone mm. into computer science, I would have been pretty good, but I would have been extremely lacking in, in any yeah. yeah emotional intelligence and, and the law really helped me with that plus it helps what, you mm. how to think so but to get back on topic uh to answer your question uh jay um yep my my experience in this is has to do with the master's degree and i after finishing my master's degree i went to work at one of the bigger law firms in portugal um where i worked for several years in in ip law so um mm-hmm. i worked on matters like from trademark registration to license agreements to uh software development agreements uh i worked with musicians i worked with writers i worked with photographers i worked with uh, video game developers nowadays i still work with uh, ip but more on the side i have some personal clients that i help out with uh, that i help out uh some of them are also friends of uh of of seven i Mm-hmm. And others are just like smaller companies, so like SMEs that need help with, uh, well, one is, for example, a software development company that often needs help in negotiating IP clauses with its uh, clients. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoy this. This is my first passion, as I said, and uh, happy to talk about, like to clarify anything that might help. Right. Sure. Just just a small uh, clarification. SME stands for small medium uh, exactly, enterprises. Yeah. I was okay. gonna ask the same thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I just mean small companies, basically. That's not, not learned, man. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> right. So okay. Dude, setting an initial question. Um, mm-hmm. The la- the from the former podcast that me and uh, Jay recorded, we went into this this debate about education, and mm-hmm. we kind of were wondering. We proposed this. One of our big frustrations in education was how they didn't have application to the real world. Like the things that you studied didn't really um, get, didn't leave school, basically. As soon as you went into a job, you forgot everything or you, you learned the skills that you actually needed for the job. And one yeah. of the solutions we found for that was the fact that uh, schools should be, should look more into giving uh, students away into work and like not not so much internships but as like partners to to firms but mm. we were wondering how we could make that worthwhile for the student and one of the solutions was monetarily is it viable to pay uh, students like underaged people uh, as a compensation for getting an education <laughs> or is this question a bit too in-depth 
because well, that I think was one it's of the very things that... open-ended um do you mean is it viable for a company to pay like are we talking I mean, high school students are we talking university students i mean university uh, i think mean... it's absolutely fine i must think more on like in high school people that are mm. under the age of 18 or basically under the they're not actually part of the working force right so mm. how do you compensate them monetarily for their ip like imagine okay. me as a designer in high mm-hmm. school imagine that i have this this summer uh, internship let's call it internship because i can't remember of an actual the proper title of it where i go three months away and i work alongside an actual designer and i actually create mm-hmm. stuff with him should i get paid do i like i think the student should also get paid but is that uh viable is that like real or not mm-hmm. that's a really cool question because i think for design it's uh it's very specific right like let's say if yeah. you were talking about paying a high schooler to intern at a law firm, there's only so much that this high schooler can do of value to the law firm, right? Because you need to be a qualified lawyer to do a lot of uh, legal related stuff. But I guess stuff like research or translations could be something that a high schooler could do. So if that's of enough value to the firm, you could pay them, right? Mm -hmm. But if we're talking about design, I think it's a whole different ballpark because you don't need a a license to be a designer. I was talking about this with, uh, with my girlfriend the other day. About, uh, you know, if you if you want to be a good designer, the most important thing, from my understanding, is to have a good portfolio. Exactly. Because that's correct. how you're going to get clients. And you don't need even a university degree to have a good portfolio. Exactly, correct. Uh, most of the thing you take from the university is the connections or maybe just yeah. so you're introduced to the tools of the trade. Yeah. So my answer to you would be, I mean, of course, it depends on the company's uh, ethical stance on this, but... I think your value as a designer is a direct result of the quality of the work that you can output. And that's completely unrelated to your age or to your experience. You could be a child prodigy making amazing logos the first time you try. Why should you be paid less than someone who has five years experience but produces worse output? True. Mm. Um, I was just thinking... For design, I think it's that clear cut. It's not the same for other other areas. But design, all that matters is the quality of the output, right? Well, the quality of the output is has its own value. What happens a lot is uh, do your work and I'll pay you an exposure. And that is right. that is virtually useless. Like mm-hmm. when you're starting at, at the bottom tier of design as a, as a student, even if you are a prodigy, uh, you need to have monetary compensation. If, mm-hmm. if not... Just for the fact that so you learn how monetary compensation works in terms of design. So you know how to value your own art. Getting paid is actually not just something to motivate the student, but to actually no, to no, teach yeah. them. Because there's so much in design where people don't know how to price themselves. Yeah. And oh, dude. Sorry. I just, I just remember something. If I may interrupt. You mentioned the, um, uh, the, the thing about exposure. Like, oh, you do this and we'll give you exposure. There was a <laughs> sort of... Um, um, like drama i'm not sure if it's drama anyway a guy who's uh, known uh, as monte cristo uh, his uh caster for he was casting like league of legends he uh, cast uh, other stuff other games mm-hmm. but there was like he pretty much uh, was uh, talking about some stuff the way the riot you know the game for the the company for league of legends was treating their casters and stuff because there's pretty much what they were saying like oh dude they got like a player and like oh dude yeah you should cast this like uh will it will give you a lot of exposure and he was like doing <laughs> dude at some point all that exposure should turn into money but they just keep telling you like do it for the exposure yeah what the hell so it was pretty that much shitting danger. on them yeah. he was shitting on them and he was a professional uh well caster and he was you know he understood what he was worth and he knew how much he was being paid and he said look 
Riot didn't give me a, a, a good pay, but I still did the gig because I thought it was good for me. It was good for exposure for me, but at some point it wasn't anymore. Yeah, so I yeah. stopped working with them. So yeah, that uh, it's interesting that you mentioned that exposure. It, in reality, that is kind of exploitation. I mean, it could be good the first time. If you're nobody, mm. the first the first two or three times, I think maybe it's okay. Yeah. But um, after that, it's really just exploitation. Well, oh, let me connect just... that to let me connect that to the topic to IP because uh, it's uh, it's about IP this this discussion and about uh, bargaining power. So let's say you uh, create a logo, right? You're you're hired uh, by someone to create a logo. So the what what do they what does every person bring to the table in this in this relationship? You have the creator, who is going to bring the logo, right? So the creator is bringing the IP, which the company wants to use to market some sort of product. So this can be something that's very valuable to the company. If it's a good logo, if it's a catching fetching logo, it could be something that really increases the company's ROI on a return on investment on on the product that it's going to be uh, implemented in, right? A good logo might be. Uh, a, you know, more appealing to customers. It might help them stand out in the market from their competition, might make them look more professional, more competitive, whatever. So they need a good logo. They want a good logo. They hire a designer. Uh, what does the company offer the designer? Well, that, that's the, the question, right? The company needs to get the designer's, um, let's say, permission to use the logo. And this permission is given when you sign uh, an agreement to create the logo, for example, because then it's... Um, if you, uh, well, under most IP laws, if you create a work for hire for someone else, so you're hired to create a work, the IP rights, so the exclusive rights over that work are transferred to the person who engages you. So they, they actually are born in the person who engages you, not in the creator. So uh, to, to, to go a step back, as a rule, when you create something, like if you draw a logo right now on a napkin uh, in, a con in the European Union, you automatically gain copyright over that drawing, right? Assuming that it's cool. minimally creative and distinctive. There's no registration in the EU, unlike in, in, in certain other countries like the US. The exception okay. to that rule is if I hire you to draw something for me, unless we stipulate differently in the agreement, um, typically what happens is that right, when you draw it, is born in my sphere of rights, not in yours. Right. Wait. So just just to be clear, so you're saying that, for example, I hire Sev to draw uh, my portrait, for example. Please yeah. do. Uh, and I pay. I, I have a contract for payment only. I don't have yeah. any other stipulations. Uh, by European law, that means that that portrait is like my my uh, intellectual property and not his. Yeah. It depends on the country. It depends on the law. But in some cases, yes, the automatic sub okay. uh, subsidiary rule is. The rights are born in the engager. Okay. Uh, in other Even countries, though we didn't explicitly yeah, 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 uh, yeah. agree. So, like no, in any in any contract, uh, what happens in a contract normally you have uh, mandatory laws and you have suppletive laws for contracts. And the mandatory laws will apply regardless of what you put in the contract. They apply even if you write something to the contrary. And suppletive laws oh. apply if you don't put anything in the contract. So an example, oh. for example, I believe in Portugal. Uh, I'm not entirely 100% clear on this because I don't work so much with Portuguese law specifically, but I believe the subsidiary rule is the right is born in the engager. So unless you would explicitly write in the contract that Sev would retain IP rights over his creation, they would be born uh, in your sphere. So they would be yours by default. Mm. So then what does that say to the designer? Uh, the designer uh, has to make a choice, right? Um, when you accept to sign a work for higher agreement, you need to decide how far you can push this company. 
can you push this company to let you keep the rights and just license the rights to them? Can you push the company to pay you? Can you push the company to offer you any other sort of compensation which you might like? Or are they literally only going to give you exposure, as you mentioned? And the reason why companies Mm. sometimes offer only exposure is just the law of capitalism. If they're able to get you to agree to not being paid to do something that's of value to them, it's in their interest to not pay you for it. So yeah, it is a form of exploitation, I agree. Oh, but actually uh, what I'm thinking right now is that uh, the reason that happens, well, mostly it's just the market. Mm -hmm. Because if there are other people uh, who would agree to do that without payment, that is fine. And I think the big issue here is that, for example, this is the first time I hear of this. And I think a lot of artists, I'm not an artist, but I think a lot of artists have never known about this. So they're not even aware that just by signing a payment contract or whatever, they're giving up their intellectual property rights. So unless all the artists knew this uh, that this would happen, um, there would be no way that they can have any bargaining power, I think. Uh, well, typically it's also written down in the agreement because what um, no. what uh, companies are afraid of is this is debate, right? So hold on, I'm checking actually the law right now. Um, <laughs> so it says... Oh, actually, I'm, I'm mistaken for Portuguese law specifically. In Portuguese law, it says if you don't write it in the contract, the ownership of copyright on work for hire belongs to the intellectual creator. So the fact that oh. if, you, if it's not stipulated in the agreement, it would stay with the designer, which is good for, mm. for people under Portuguese law, but this is not necessarily the case in other countries, right? In the UK, it might be different in, because copyright laws are territorial. They are uh, dependent from country to country. There are some international treaties that harmonize certain things. There are European directives that harmonize certain things. But member states of the European Union and individual countries outside of the EU still have a lot of freedom to kind of define mm. their own specificities. So, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, but but what I can tell you is like 99.9% of the time, the company engaging the person is going to write down in the agreement that the rights are assigned to the company not even just licensed but actually assigned it's pretty much how i have in uh, jotan my contract says that all all the stuff i create belongs to them yeah that's the easiest way for the company that's the easiest way for the company do you you at least get a mention like oh this guy made sometimes but that is more out of professional politeness than exactly necessity they do it because this is good work um actually Okay, so it's it, there's a specific regulation, uh, there's specific rules around uh, works created for newspapers, so this doesn't necessarily apply to your case. But it's interesting to talk about moral rights for authors, because there's a difference in copyright specifically between economic rights and moral rights. So the economic rights are your, your the rights to exploit a work. Like if you create a book, you uh, own the right to sell that book or to allow a translation of that book to be made or to allow an adaptation of that book into a movie to be made. That's an economic right. You can license that right, you can assign that right, other people can acquire that right from you, so on. But you also have moral rights. And moral rights are like more personal rights that belong to you uh, in connection with the book. And usually they cannot be assigned. And in some cases they can't be waived. So the moral rights can include stuff like attribution. Uh, Even if Mm. you allow a publisher to gain the rights to sell your book uh this doesn't allow that publisher for example to not include you as an author in the book or to include someone else as an author in the book or more interestingly to include your name in a book that you haven't written um there's also (laughs) moral rights that have to do with uh, distortion of works so there's some interesting cases uh like for example 
there was a case uh, in Portugal where there was an author who wrote a book which was left unpublished. And the author expressly said before they died that they did not want the book to be published. Uh, and somebody, yeah, yeah, kind of, kind of. But maybe they weren't, not necessarily petty. Maybe they wrote a draft and they thought it was shit and they didn't want it to be published. I, I don't know the specifics. But I do know mm. that it was published anyway, right? So the person had written down their, their will and testament regarding this draft. They didn't want it to be published. And somebody got this draft and they decided, I'm going to publish it, make some money out of this. So the heirs of the author went to court and the Portuguese court said, that this is an infringement of the moral rights of the deceased author because the deceased author had established, well, I, I don't want this to be published. What an um, asshole. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know, man. I, I agree with that. I agree with that law, by the way, but it's it's just funny. Like a guy's dying. is like, no, fuck y'all. This, this dies with me. No, but imagine like you wrote something that you're ashamed of. Like it's something so poor quality that you don't want it to be released. And you're mm -hmm. like, imagine you're a really famous author, Sev, which isn't hard for you. Um, mm. Good point. <laughs> like, and imagine, like, uh, you you're in ten years, you're you're like massively known as a, a, a like a huge uh, fantasy fiction writer, um, and somebody comes up with like a, a really old draft of uh, the like the very first thing that you wrote. And you're yeah. kind of embarrassed by that. My you Twilight prefer... fan fiction. Yeah, maybe somebody comes back <laughs> with your Twilight fan fiction. Maybe you don't want that to be published. You should have a right to not have that published. Um, so yeah, I think it makes sense. But it I kind of like your Twilight I, I prove fiction, that law. I really like when when uh, there is a law that protects uh, the creative's integrity. Yeah, I think that that is important because of that reason. Because you don't want like it's very hard to control what what the public perceives of you, and, mm -hmm. and more often than not, it's always negative. So yeah, you might you always want to protect your memory or legacy. That's the only thing an artist can really have. So yeah, that, that I agree with that law. It's just funny. I just like when people are petty. <laughs> I just uh, I'm just curious. Like uh, I mean, I don't know. It doesn't happen a lot, but I'm very curious to know if the listeners are already familiar with any of this that we're talking about. Because I, I I definitely wasn't aware aware. I mean, Sev works uh, and signed some contracts, so he knows some of this stuff. Uh, but I'm just curious, like you the the listener, if you know any of this and if this is uh, of any use to you. Uh, but also, I'd like to take a very quick step back. Uh, we're kind of developing the conversation already. But can you just uh, very simply and quickly define intellectual property, Marti? Yeah, that makes sense, right? <laughs> uh, so intellectual property, that's uh, derived from property, right? But instead of referring to tangible physical objects like a chair or, or a table, it refers to creations of the human mind. So basically anything that like the human mind can... Uh, well, actually more like the idea of a chair or a table expressed in a certain form. So the specific chair might not be copyrightable, but the design of the chair might be copyrightable. Mm. Very good. Um, I was being a facetious, facetious asshole, but you can uh, Okay, me. I can give you a good example. Like if you buy a copy of a novel, right? You're the owner of the book itself, like the physical copy of the book. That's yeah, your that's property. Point. Yeah. But the that's contents of the novel, the story, the characters, the scenario, that's not your property. That's property of either the creator or whoever acquired those rights from the creator. I think that's a good way to, to understand the difference. Very um, put. Yeah. So another point to bear in mind is that not everything that the human mind can come up with is protected as intellectual property. So there's a difference between, I guess this is where the term intellectual property rights comes in. 
of which copyright is a type or a category. Trademarks is another, patents is another, and there are others. There are certain minimum requirements that you need to meet uh, for protection. And, and these are different depending on, on the type of right that we're talking about. Mm. I assume you're talking about okay. like transformative rights or something. Like when someone picks up, imagine I see a drawing of a McDonald's logo. And yeah. I do the same thing, but I turn it on its side. So it's a B instead of an M. And I say, mm -hmm. oh, but this is it's transformative. It's, mm -hmm. it's completely different. Uh, I assume that is not protected by copyright. Yeah, it depends on the country. But for copyright, normally you need to have uh, met a certain minimum standard of originality or creativity for it to be protected and not just copyright infringement. That seems of course, in the case... Up it's to, vague. Up to it's interpretation. Vague. Yeah. It's it's up to interpretation for sure. That's why IP law is interesting for lawyers because there's lots of room to argue. Um, right. It, and, yeah. And sorry, is there? So you mentioned that intellectual property uh, actually um, uh, has copyright, trademarks, and patents. Uh, patents, which are all different things. Uh, can you very briefly uh, tell the differences or explain them? Yeah. So intellectual property is the actual like protected creation. Intellectual property rights are stuff like copyright, trademarks, patents, because those are rights that you get over intellectual property. Um, that's the first distinction. So copyright is an intellectual property right, which is given to people who create literary or artistic works, which are expressed in the real world. This is stuff like if you write a movie script or a video game scenario or you paint something or whatever, you can obtain, you can potentially obtain copyright over that uh, creation. And it, of course, depends on the country where you are, but typically in Europe, you get automatic rights over your creations if they meet a certain level of originality. And in countries like the US, you need to apply for copyright registration. So the main purpose of copyright is to ensure that you're able to control how your creations are used from the economic and from the moral perspective, as we discussed before. Trademarks have a different scope. Sometimes there's some confusion between copyright and trademarks. What trademarks are meant to protect is not creativity, but rather distinctiveness in trade. So to explain, um, trademarks are granted to traders, like an individual or a company that's selling goods or services in the market. And they apply to symbols used to distinguish a trader's goods or services from those, those of another. So you could use, for example, a word uh, or a logo Nike. or Nike is an example of a word mark. The swish uh, is, a, is a graphic mark, uh, a logo uh, for, for Nike. Some, there's some color logos as well. Even sounds can be trademarks, provided that they are sufficiently distinctive. So the, the point Iron of trade suit. The, yeah, possibly. This, yeah, it is. It is. The Iron Man. It's trademarked. Uh, oh, wow. By I, I wasn't yeah. aware of that. But but that's that's uh, an example. So trademarks are given in relation to specific goods or services. So, for example, you can re register. Uh, I don't know. I'm seeing my, my computer now. Asus for laptops or for technological devices or something like this. So then you get protection of use of that name for that category of goods. Um, and basically the goal of trademarks as opposed to copyright is to make sure that you have a symbol that's distinctive in the market and that can't be copied by others so that others can pass themselves off as you or uh, try to take advantage of the goodwill and reputation that you've created in the market to sell their own stuff. Then uh, the last one that I talked about was patents. Um, and patents are different from copyright uh, because they're not granted regarding creative things per se. I mean, of course, there's some creativity in, involved, but patents are about technical 
novelty. They're about technical innovations, so inventions. The idea is if you create a new product or a new process to develop a task or even create a product, uh, you can potentially apply for a patent. And what you'll get is for a limited period of time, which depending on the type of patent can be up to 20 years or more, um, you publish your invention and you have the exclusive right to market that invention or to use I that mean, invention. Apple right? is very common uh, to um, register patents because a lot mm -hmm. of their, um, like the screen is patented by, by uh, what's it called? A retina display is a is a Apple patent. The, the round corners of the the iPhone that was also an Apple patent that ended up, I think, being disputed or something because yeah, every single oh yeah, dude, uh, Samsung also after filed that. a bunch of those, and there's a huge war between them and and other companies as well. Like uh, uh, the the smart device uh, market is filled with patent lawsuits. Um, yeah, everybody's fighting each other over certain things. That but is that's a bit the point, more yeah. gadgety. Uh, like like you said, it's about the like the it's like a process patent. It's like a copyright for a for a process for a. Mm. It's, so we won't be touching on that very much. But yeah, it's uh, well actually we could. It really depends uh -huh. on what we're talking about. So let's let's take the example of uh, uh, a video game or a board game. So uh, Magic the Gathering. This actually is interesting to get your opinion on this. So we've Go talked ahead. about copyright. We've talked about. Shit. All right, let's quiz you. We talked about copyright, trademarks, and patents, and we kind of discussed. Oh, okay. the scope oh, if, of these. if if you want to do, sorry to interrupt, but if you want to do the quiz, just to see my understanding. So yeah, yeah, go ahead. Draw a parallel of intellectual property towards artistry, artistry podcast. Yeah. So copyright would be the podcasts we create and uh, are out on YouTube and Spotify. That's the content we create, and we have copyright over that. Yeah. The trademark would be, uh, well, I guess the name artistry podcast, and perhaps our logo. The logo specifically the art used or i don't know the way the the font is used i'm not sure what would um, uh, would what would surmise the trademark there but i guess the name and the logo and the uh, patent would be well i don't think we have any now but if we we created and we would have to register i suppose actually uh, we created a pen that we could control with five fingers at the same time sort of like a puppet <laughs> master you could put like a puppet master on a piece of paper and you control the pen and you you can draw that way for example uh, would that be a good understanding of the different uh, types of intellectual property? Yeah, so copyright is spot on. I think you would have copyright over what you've said, uh, presuming that it meets the applicable standard of originality and uh, maybe even of the recording as well. Uh, trademarks, uh, you could have an unregistered trademark for the name and possibly the logo. Uh, after ah. registration, it would uh, give you more definitive protection. Um, patents, that idea maybe could be a patent, but we would need to, to check the patent database to see if it's, it would be actually a novel idea. And unfortunately, the fact oh. that you've just disclosed it in a public forum means that your oh! ability to patent it is strongly restricted right now. Shit! <laughs> oh, God damn it. Wait, but explain that a little bit. Wait, explain that a little bit to me. Because I have disclosed <laughs> it publicly, that means I have put it, put it in the public realm rather than yeah, a yeah, private the, patent. The, the thing is with patents, I, I'm not 100% sure of the specifics of this because patents isn't my specialty. But uh, the idea is um, one of the requirements for something to be patentable is it for it to be novel, you know, so beyond the state of the art, which means it can't be something that's already known or in the public domain, which is why this ah! episode is never going to be released. Yeah, this episode is never released. Maybe you can still patent it. <laughs> but the, I think there's some situations where even after disclosure, you have like a period of six months to file for registration. 
provided that you know mm. the person who disclosed is the person registering. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, typically that's why when you are considering if you want to patent something uh, and you go to companies for investment, you have them sign NDAs so that they uh, so that the idea of the patent is not disclosed uh, publicly, so that you don't that's lose your patent know. rights. Good to know. But yeah, that's okay. a, that's uh, a good. Uh, I think that's a good uh, look at what IP rights you might have uh, Quiz on me. the podcast. So, <laughs> so now in a video game, um, how would you protect? Well, I guess this kind of gives it gives it away. So tell me, Sev, like just as uh, uh, as Jay has done, uh, can you think of uh, ways that IP rights can arise related to a video game that you might create or a board game? Maybe a board game is even even better. Uh, poof. A board game is a bit like I was already thinking of an example of a video game, like mm-hmm. uh, Dota, for example. Yeah, is copyrighted because you know of the title Dota. Uh, the trademark of it is the um, again I would say the logo of it since it has had several permutations and also of the heroes and the names. All all that shit is probably trademarked or copyrighted. Uh, and as long as patents, like Dota was, it created the MOBA genre of video games. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's my example. Okay. So uh, for copyright, I think you could go a bit broader. Basically, any uh, any asset used in the game, like any visual asset, sound asset, uh, could be copyrightable. Um, the name, maybe not so much. The name probably would be more subject to a trademark because it's... Yeah. Uh, it's the the disti- it's the symbol by which the, the game is marketed. The name. Now the that logo. I can actually think a bit clearer on it, um, Dota is a, an interesting uh, aspect of copyright because, and this people I don't expect people to know what Dota is, but expect that you know, you've heard of the game Warcraft, not World of Warcraft, but an actual war. It was a game called Warcraft. It was which is a predecessor of World of Warcraft, mm-hmm. and Dota was a game that was built inside the game of Warcraft. So a lot of the assets, a lot of the modules, a lot of the like design animations, whatever, were all based off of Warcraft from designers from Blizzard. So I assume they're all using the copyright from Blizzard. Years afterwards, just to give people an explanation, Dota separated from the Warcraft engine and it became its own. It became its own company, its own entity. And so everything that was related to the Blizzard assets was changed so that they would i assume protect their copyright so that everything would uh would have their own copyright oh yeah for sure for sure like you you would not be able to so that's why dota was uh kept free to play for so long Uh, because it's Mm -hmm. fine to create a mod using using warcraft 3 that they Mm -hmm. they allow for this right but uh i think there might be rules in the mod creator for warcraft 3 on whether you can commercialize mods exactly so when they wanted to go commercial, they would need to have made a, an agreement with Blizzard, probably sharing revenues or, you know, probably giving a lion's share of the revenue to Blizzard because Blizzard's a massive company. Yeah. So sure. so it was better for them to recreate the game uh, with different assets. But it's interesting that um, after the MOBAs genre becomes big, there's a bunch of different uh, MOBAs that come up. Um, isn't that weird to you? Like, uh, So Dota comes up with the idea. But then, yeah, and then we have the, we the have infamous Legends, MOBA, have, yeah. yeah. But you mean, but you mean weird as in an an in an intellectual intellectual property kind of way? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because, because supposedly they'd have yeah. the patent for it. Therefore, if anyone 
copyright uh, they would be liable to being sued. Yeah, but there is no patent, right? <gasps> yeah, they there's... might have a trademark. They might have a copyright on the art and whatever and the content, but they don't have the right. Uh, they don't have a patent on the genre. They could even have a copyright on the code. They do have a copyright on the code that they got was used to create the game. The thing is, one of the things that isn't copyrightable is an idea, right? You can't copyright an idea. You can only copyright the way that an idea is specifically expressed. And this is very relevant for video games because mm. what that means is if you create a MOBA, you can copyright the specific MOBA that you've created. Like you can copyright the codes, you can copyright the assets that you use, but you can't use copyright to prevent someone from saying, I'm going to create something similar. I'm not going to copy any of your code. I'm not going to copy any of your assets. I'm going to create another MOBA. It's going to have the same rules. It's going to have the same items, but I change the item names. It's going to have the same heroes, the same skills, but I change the, the names and the, and the visual aspects. And I'm going to put this on the market. You can't do anything about that under copyright. Or rather, that's the rule. Like There's some case law which tries to get around this a little bit. But as a rule, copyright won't help you there because you can't protect an idea, only the way that you've expressed it. So right. the only way I that you was... could do that mm -hmm. would be through a patent. But... Patents for software programs are very difficult to get because the rules on patenting software programs are extremely restrictive. You need to be able to show that the program that you've created is a technical innovation. So it's not just enough, it's not enough that you've created a new type of game. It needs to be an, an, a new type of program that would somehow present a, a technical innovation in you know, relevance to the scientific or practical realm. It's extremely limiting. So there, there in my opinion, is there's it, actually no practical way to protect a, a video gonna, game idea. I will give you an example, an example that, that is flawed because I already know of clones, but an example of that would be Minecraft, I would think. Mm -hmm. Like when Minecraft came out, that whole uh, survival crafting uh build things from blocks around you was incredibly unique i think was minecraft is probably one of the the one of the games that had the most technical innovation of the last decade of, of the last decades of last generation like if you think about what the game offered and how much it has been cloned since then uh i'm i'm shocked that it, it, it didn't count for a patent or of that sort of that sort of protection yeah, well, the reason why it didn't is just because the requirements for patents, when you're patenting something, you need to present a technical problem and an invention that solves that technical problem. So the innovation has to have like a, a technical character. It has to be inventive. If what you're presenting is a new way to play a game, it's not, first of all, not easy to prove what the unique aspects of that are in relation to what already exists. And secondly, it's not easy to prove the technical solution that that's providing to any real technical problem. If it's just sort of a mathematical formula or uh, a process uh, to do something in a different way, which isn't really a new solution for a new problem, it's harder to, to patent. And, and, and that's why software kind of falls flat on its face most times when you're trying to patent it. It's I have one more question explain, because but... we're getting a bit stuck on this, but I have one more question that I... Uh, going on that what you just said mm -hmm. what about the concept of pokemon go mm -hmm. which was i think a technical innovation that that uh, in the gaming world that obvious had, had obvious visual 
examples, you know, people from all generations, people could see the this new form of gaming that was is unique. Didn't that have patented protection? Doesn't that deserve? Isn't that protected under the law? Yeah, I think maybe the mechanic of the specific mechanic of using your geolocation to um, and, and VR to create a sort of you know interesting new game mechanic that might be patentable because it's a technical innovation. But the concept generally of having Pokemon show up in specific so, so that's the key point that I'm trying to say. Like if you have something in a game that's extremely new, for example, when iToy came out for for PlayStation Two where it used a camera to record your movements and interact with something on the screen, or uh, the Wiimote for, for the Nintendo Wii, or, I don't know, Donkey Konga has like congas that you can drum and, and create rhythms with that, and Pokemon Go has this mechanic. Those specific technical mechanics might be patentable, in my opinion. But uh, if we would do something like a MOBA uh, that doesn't have the sort of technical expression in the outside world it's just a new way to play a game that doesn't have any sort of new gadget or new technical innovation that is involved in the act of playing a game you're still just using a keyboard and a mouse uh, to input commands uh, I, I think you have a really hard time patenting that and so you have a hard time protecting your game idea from others you kind of have to compete on on the merit of your idea and the, the execution rather than the exclusivity granted to you by a right Okay, so I think from my understanding here, and again, I'll just uh, repeat back what I heard mm -hmm. or what I understood, is that generally speaking, patents would not be relevant to creators because they're more related to technical innovations rather than creativity. Yeah, the exception and... would be what's called a design patent, uh, but that's specifically for designers, I guess. Like you can get a more limited patent in time, so it's I think it's around five years usually to obtain an exclusive right over a design of something like you designed a chair in a specific way or you designed a radiator yeah. in a specific way so that could be interesting for certain types of creators who are involved in industrial design for example uh, but for creators like uh, writers or painters or musicians you know the more uh, sculptors i guess like uh, for those guys patents are usually not really relevant okay very well i, I do so like <clears throat> kind of getting a segue from that okay we you know we um, we have the copyright to our work or we have registered a trademark now uh, there is this dude i don't know like uh, let's call him uh, jonathan sparkles i don't know and uh, jonathan sparkles just uh, sparkles. Yes, pr pretty much took took our podcast and reposted it on uh, whatever i don't know another platform mm -hmm. or uh, on his channel on youtube what can we do about it well, what should we do about it? Specifically on YouTube, there's the copyright claim mechanism, which is quite effective, oh, okay. I think. I should read that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If somebody, so, as I said, you have the copyright over, at least over the recording, right? The video that you upload. So if somebody re-uploads your content, you should have standing to bring that content down because you didn't authorize it. Unless, of course, okay. this person is in a jurisdiction which uh, has some sort of exception to use of your work. And uh, we can get into that. But usually there's no exception which allows someone to just copy-paste your video on their channel and uh, you know fully uh, broadcast it to everybody else as if they had made it. I see. But, okay, let's uh, more specific. I mean, I don't know specifically how this works, but I know a lot of people like repost on TikTok or something like that. And I've never used the platform, so I don't know what... 
what laws govern them or in regards to this, but they just repost. And imagine, I mean, we're just a podcast. We don't have that much following yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we don't, we're not, um, we don't get any money from this, from the AdSense or whatever, the advertisement. But somebody did just reposted our stuff on their channel and they do have <clears throat> advertisement, excuse me, and they do get money. Mm-hmm. Uh, we take their content down, but can we, I, I want, I'm, I'm a greedy bastard. I want that money. Uh, you might have a claim to do? it. You might have a claim to it. I'm not sure how the YouTube um, copyright claim system works, but legally speaking, like if uh, if we're talking about Portuguese law, to as to give an example, somebody infringes your copyright, you're entitled to uh, uh, indemnity, which could cover the money made by that person, at least directly through the copyright infringement. So if you would be able to establish that this person has made X amount of revenue. Uh, from ads uh, with a video that uh, infringes your copyright, you could have a claim to that money. And in fact, uh, okay. that's what happens on YouTube, I believe. Like big companies that file copyright strikes against uh, other companies, other creators uploading their content will claim the monetization for that mo- video as well. Okay, fair enough. Uh, okay, so just a, another very quick question. Imagine another person comes to us and they say, I really like your stuff and I think I can uh, make money out of it. I want your permission to use it. Like, what what can we arrange there? Uh, let's call her. Uh, I don't know, uh, Susan uh, Kiwi. Okay, so Ms. first, uh, first you need to think <laughs> about like what terms you want to agree with Miss Kiwi. Uh, also, like how how useful this deal would be for you, right? Because it depends on who Miss Kiwi is. But but I can... mean, just what is what is the procedure? We want we agree to it. We want to get mo- she 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 will get money out of it. We'll get a piece of the of the action right yeah, yeah, what, yeah. what do we do what's what's the procedure um so what you would want to do is to give her the right to use your podcast in some way and uh you might want to this is why i'm thinking you might want to think about how you want to structure the deal because there's two main ways that you could go about it you could assign copyright to her um or you could license copyright you could license rights of use and the difference is the same as well it's, it's comparable to selling a house or renting a house with an assignment, what you do is you transfer rights uh, definitively to someone else. Uh, you can do that in exchange for a uh, single payment or for royalties over a period of time or for or indefinitely. Or in a license, what you do is you uh, give someone the right to use your work uh, in, in a certain way. So you might say, okay, we want you to uh, repost our podcast on these multiple platforms and and create more content derived from our platform, so from our podcast. So we'll we'll license you the rights to uh, dissemination and the right to create derivative works from our podcast um, in exchange for remuneration, like in exchange for a single payment, or uh, I don't know, it could be a single payment and royalties, like a percentage of all money made on on uh, on the on, on the work that she does. You could define specific channels that she can use, specific countries where she can operate and specific countries where she can't operate because maybe you're interested in working with multiple partners. So you license the rights to Miss uh, Kiwi in New Zealand, but then you want to license the rights to Mr. Sparkles because you've That's you've so racist. In- why, is she, why is she from New Zealand? <laughs> Sorry, go on. That was, that was actually by accident, but it turned out well. And it's not, <laughs> not necessarily racist. It's just uh, nationalist, I guess. Um, but, uh, if you've since patched things up with Mr. Sparkles, maybe you want Mr. Sparkles to take care of that in Australia. So you could have a license for New Zealand for Miss Kiwi or South Africa, if that makes you feel more comfortable, Jay, uh, with Miss Kiwi. <laughs> just, I was just, I was just being a dick. 
<laughs> and you could have a license for Australia with Mr. Sparkles and, uh, and you know, with whoever else for an entire region. Or you could just give her the rights worldwide. It would be up to you. So there's a lot of flexibility in how you can set up these agreements. I'm very happy with that answer. I, I don't really have any questions at the moment. So how are if, IP rights created? Um, uh, what else? What else could be interesting to talk about? Like using other people's work. How can you use other people's work in a way that doesn't Listen. infringe the law? All right, that's a. You want to talk about that shit? Let's talk about that shit. Go on. Some time ago, I um, like my idea for the world of of uh, the Crystal Saga, the book I was writing, the book I am writing, yeah. is that I wanted the not just to, for me to write books. I wanted to create a universe where people can pitch in and participate. Uh, this was a long time ago where I wanted to create this website and where this with forums and moderators where anyone can pitch in stories to populate the world. My idea back then was I, ha I created this huge map. I created the rules as like how magic can be used, what races can be used, and, and just some general vague ideas of, of what point in history we are now. So you can't write things in the future, but you can write things in the past. Um, and with that, then I presented to the, I challenged audience to go and populate the world, like create this city, create this character, create this story, create this culture. I wanted people to just give life into this, uh, into this universe so that it felt more biodiverse because mm -hmm. if, if the whole universe comes from the mind of one person, I, f I feel like it ends up stagnated. But if you have a, a yeah, and you also outsource you also outsource some of the work, which is nice for sure. Yeah, but <laughs> my idea isn't so I can skim on work. My idea is so that I can have a world that feels uh, truly biodiverse. I, I, yeah, in yeah, fact, yeah. I wanted what I really was searching for was like a biologist creating a new type of animal. I wanted a musician creating a new type of instrument. I wanted uh, new monetary relations. I want a history relationship between cities. That's what I was truly looking for. Yeah, to make it more believable, right? To make it yeah, feel yeah, yeah. more real. And interesting. Yeah. It's, it's the spice of life, so they say. Mm. So the idea is for me to create a website that that allows everyone to pitch in with their idea, but at the same time, allow them allowing to give away their property, their intellectual property, for me to use in books. For example, imagine that... <laughs> that's the point how to make that sound not absolutely evil imagine that mr sparkles goes into this website and is like, oh i have this brilliant idea for a story uh of a child in in a faraway continent mm -hmm. and he writes this story and he thinks it's very secluded and it's it's just his little story and people kind of like it and it gets this this cult within the website and me as the author i can go into the website and say oh this this story is actually pretty goddamn good so in my next book I'm going to put a reference to this boy in the book. Mm -hmm. In my mind as the author, I feel like I'm acknowledging the work of this fellow colleague. But in the in Mr. Sparkle's mind, and we know how much of an asshole he can be, he's going, to, oh, yeah, he's using my like work. He's using my work to get money out of me. Like there, there seems to be like a, a legal bomb ready to set off because mm -hmm. of how intellectual property uh, isn't isn't well defined in this situation how would you approach that uh, mr martin mm. well I, I would just tell mr sparkles to fuck off because i hate that guy um, that guy's a, yeah yeah i don't want to talk about him anymore it makes me upset but um specifically for that case like i i don't see it as evil if it's transparent 
right? So a situation where you swoop in and take somebody else's creation and use it without attribution or anything, that's kind of evil. But what we would be, what we would be talking about here is something that's not too different than what happens on social media platforms, which is you tell someone, this is a website that's meant to basically crowdsource the creation of a world. So the idea, the deal is you come in here, you're free to create whatever you like. I'm free to take whatever you upload here and use it in my book uh, if I want. Uh, there's no guarantee that I'll use whatever you create, but if I do, I'll use it. I can maybe give you attribution at the end, but um, I won't pay you for it. It's like a free license. You're not required to submit anything, but if you do, these are the terms. So what you would need to do is to come up with terms and conditions for that website, which which would reflect this. We would need to consider like what the market would be. If we're talking about something worldwide, then it might be a little bit harder to write the terms because we wanted we would want to make something that would work in most countries. As I mentioned, uh, copyright law changes quite a bit from country to country. So we would need to get to some point where we can have an agreement that would be valid in most places to have people license their rights to you. I think it would make more sense to get like a, a global, uh, non-exclusive, or maybe even ex. Mm, I'm wondering if it would be exclusive or not. But either way, it would be uh, a non-remunerated, worldwide, uh, unrestricted in terms of uh, time periods, and basically unrestricted in terms mm. of rights, license to use the creations that people upload. Um, yes, I feel very evil right now. Yes, mm. but it's not it necessarily like evil because. You would just need to make sure that this is clear to people when they contribute. If you tell someone, oh, look, yeah. you come to my website, if you write something in here, like an idea for a character, I want to be able to use this for free for my book. At most, I might use put your name in the book as a special thank you. So this is the deal. You don't have to take this deal. You don't have to upload anything on my website. You can just go away. You can go back to YouTube and watch uh, cats dancing. You don't have to post here. But if you do, these are the rules. I don't see that as yep. evil. I, 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 I am curious to know like what percentage of people actually reads uh, the terms and agreement uh, in full. Yeah, nobody does. Uh, I wonder. Only I mean, I'm do. sure some people do. I, I, I think at least you do. I mean, I do to some extent. I didn't before, but now, like uh, you know, uh, in some things that if I put money into things, I actually uh, read at least part of it. Mm -hmm. I think I'm still not thorough. I don't read everything because I'm just kind of in good faith and out of laziness, assuming that some things are up to standard. You know, like, oh, I just read the title, like, you know, uh, I don't know, terms in regards to uh, owning or whatever. Probably, like, I, That's probably the normal stuff, so I'm not going to read that. But then some things I still read because I want to understand that, yeah. like fees and whatever. Uh, but I wonder how many people actually read it in full. I think very few do. No, man. Uh, my so my experience with something similar, which is privacy policies, that's uh, I work with that a lot because I work in privacy and data protection. My experience is uh, the average user doesn't read a privacy policy. Like it's a wall of text. Yeah. So that's why yeah. there's a lot of pressure, or actually not pressure, but like a, there's a movement to try to create more engaging ways to get people to interact with privacy policies because under... European regulations on, on personal data protection, you're required to provide information to people about how you use their personal data in a transparent, uh, understandable, clear, intelligible way. But at the same time, you have a lot of content to deliver. So there has to be a way to deliver this content in a cool, engaging way. And on, on, on Sev's yeah. platform, my recommendation would be like when you sign up, 
you get like a short video tutorial or maybe even like just some graphics explaining what will happen if they contribute. You, Ooh. So you could have the legal document there. You need to have the legal terms and conditions wall of text there. But you could have a first layer of information which just uh, pops out the main things. Like you can create whatever you want here. I can use it where, for free. Go fuck yourself. And you make it in a pretty way. Like he's a designer. I'm sure you could do this in a pretty way. Yeah, infographics. Yeah, man. Exactly. I'm infographics. Well trained in to telling people to fuck themselves. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Exactly. I think that would be a smart idea. I mean, it's a smart idea, but now in real life application, like since I had that idea, Reddit grew exponentially. Like if I wanted to do that now, I would have to use like a, a Reddit sub forum, like r slash Oberon. And then I would lose the creative license, I would, I would think. No, no, like, no, not necessarily. Because uh, obviously when you use Reddit, Reddit's terms apply. But I, I'm not sure that Reddit's terms would prevent you from creating subterms for that subreddit, of course, as, if they don't conflict with Reddit's terms. So I don't see why you couldn't say, in this subreddit, if you post something, you're granting me a license to use it. Probably you couldn't prevent mm. Reddit from also having a license to use that content. Um, but I don't wow. think it's necessarily impossible. It would, we would need to look at the Reddit terms to see. I don't think it's impossible. Okay, I, I, I didn't think that would be something you could do at all, because uh, then, I mean, I don't know. Well, sure. It depends on Reddit's terms, man. Discord as well. It's it's possible. We just need to see the terms to see if it's allowed. No, I'm just, I was just curious, like, uh, if I just go onto Reddit and post something on a subreddit, and then I would have to agree to legal binding terms, and then how how, how in practice can I uh can i be sure that the uh, yeah. user agrees to this yeah that's a good point i guess if you would have a subreddit with uh restricted access Probably. that you uh, would okay. need to invite yeah, to come have in have your own account yeah yeah so n not just that you would need to be able to have some way to prove that the person accepted those terms right so one way could be uh, a board that you can only access if the admin allows you to, and you need to accept the terms to access. This would be one way. Oh. Another way would be if you can't control this, you could have a post with the terms and somebody would have to, for example, respond to that post saying, I, I agree to these terms. And if they do that, you would have yeah. a binding contract. You could also say, we will disregard anything you upload unless you've agreed to the terms. Uh, I, there might be a way mm. to do it. You need to think outside the box a bit. But the key would be Foot for showing thought. agreement. Yeah. If you can demonstrate that there's agreement, then it, it should work. But again, we would need to look at the Reddit terms to see. Yes. I like this idea of megalomania and evilness. <laughs> I say evilness Stop only saying because evil. It's I not think evil. I, say, I know it's not evil. But uh, what I mean is that I think there's it's a lot of... Maybe, perhaps the fault is on the uh, people who agree to terms without reading them. But I see evil because in practice it just takes way too too much time to read and actually understand it because yeah. a lot of the terms in the agreements are in, unintelligible for yeah. a, a layman person. Yeah. Or, it's just, I, I, going back on the children thing, a lot of people who enter and accept that are like, can be like 10 years old. Yeah, the, the theory that's, of the 10-year-old prodigy who gives away his... Yeah, but then that contract is invalid, probably. It depends on the law where the kid is, is living, but you know that contract might not even be valid. So the kid accepting the terms is, is irrelevant. But I agree, like, mm. there, it's, I understand where you're coming from. Terms and conditions are written in a legalese way. The purpose of this is not necessarily to prevent people from understanding what's going on. It's because of <laughs> lawsuits. Ambiguity. It's, it's because be of lawsuits. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. When you're writing a legal document, 
there always needs to be a wall of text with very specific terms. And then you can have what you should have is first layers of information, which are more uh, user-friendly so that people understand the, the basics. And this happens in a lot of documents. Like I think WhatsApp and Facebook and Google are putting a lot of effort into making their legalese documents more understandable for users. Um, but it's, it's really for companies to protect themselves because if you're ambiguous in a legal document that gives, a, that opens you up to lawsuits and in countries like Europe, maybe it's not so dangerous, but in countries like the U S, um, you can't run that risk. Very litigious. You can't run the risk. Yeah. Yeah. They just, they just sue for anything, don't they? However, you did, the yeah. you did revive my interest in creating this forum again. Definitely. I think it's a cool idea. I would love to, to help you out with that as well. Mm-hmm. I would love to do some not evil stuff with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, there's a way to do it, which is, uh, which is, I think the goal should be to have something that's legally valid, but also like the terms that are understandable to an average person joining the platform. And of also, course, if you're worried about kids, you just restrict the minimum age to participate. Like you have to be over 18 then the worries are gone. Fair enough. Also like, a lot of companies get a lot of good faith just because of how they treat their audience. Yeah. Like it is evil if you blatantly take stuff and don't give some, some form of creditation. Like it's not hard to say thank you. Like at the end of the book, have this, this last page being a thank you of all the people who contributed to, to, the, to, the, to the book or just the front page even. The thanks mm-hmm. to you. And then there's three paragraphs full of names. Uh, this person helped me create, uh, helped it create this world mm. and you know, that only just that it shows that you have some sort of connection with the people you know if, if you treat your users well I, I feel like there is no evil intent there are companies that make a whole reputation out of being very friendly an example of that was uh, cd project red you know the guys mm. that created the witcher yeah, yeah during the witcher time where they were incredibly transparent, where they gave a lot of free content, where they were very engaging with the audience. They were considered the, the darlings of game development. Things took mm-hmm. a sudden turn for the worst when they released Cyberpunk in a, in a matter that they, which they did, which to give a brief explanation, Cyberpunk was, um, was released unfinished. It was uh, under heavy crunch uh, people. Uh, it was a lot of false promises because it, it was a game that released between two generations of consoles. So yeah. it was a promise that would work on a PS4 and a PS5, and which the truth was it didn't work almost at all in a PS4. It, the software didn't allow, the hardware didn't allow for it. So immediately, because they weren't transparent, because they they goaded people to giving them money first and only then giving a product, they immediately lost that goodwill faith. It's it, it all becomes this uh, uh, people management problem more so than an actual uh, being evil, stealing rights, stealing intellectual property problem. Mm. Uh, I had two things to say to that. Uh, the first is like, uh, I think it's good form to give attribution, but if uh, you're clear that you won't give attribution and people agree to that, I don't think that's evil. Uh, and the second thing right. is, uh, is did any, did, no, it's not, it, it's a, it's a deal. You don't have to take it. If you take yeah. it, then that's, that's what you sign up for. I think it's good form to give attribution anyway, though. So it's definitely nice, but I don't think it's not nice to not give it if that's agreed. And the second thing is, did any of you guys play cyberpunk? I'm, I'm curious. I didn't play it. No, no. I have not. I've heard, I, I heard bad things not, about it, but not very interested. I heard bad things on its release. Since then, I've also heard that the game actually is a pretty enjoyable game. Uh, it is like my gripes with The Witcher 
is uh, the menus, the interface, uh, even the gameplay is not all that engaging. But the world mm-hmm. building and the like, the, the attention to details, you know, you got to give CD Projekt Red uh, props for that. And I feel like a lot of that translates to, uh, from the reviews I've heard, translate to Cyberpunk, which is the world is beautiful. There's a lot of attention to details, like the the story, the dialogue, the interactions are all amazing. But the gameplay is somewhat rudimentary. It's a, it's a relatively surface level uh, rpg uh, which gives you a lot of it shows you a lot of stats but our stats are meaningless like you have a sword it gives two percent more uh, fire damage and you have another sword it gives 2.3 percent more Whoa. fire damage so it, it's it's that's it's a lot of fire like, damage it's it's so nuanced you could just kind of lost in the stats it, it, you don't really feel like you're you're evolving your character that you're building a character you just you're just looking for the higher numbers, and to me, that kind of is is a boring way of playing an RPG. Mm. Like it's more interesting if having it appeals d- to a different uh, kind of player, I guess. Yeah, of course. You 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 want the the biggest number to appear over the head of the enemies. Fine. It's but I can enjoy more like different mechanics, mechanics that make you approach the game differently. And yeah. as far as I know, Cyberpunk tried to do that, uh, but they. Ultimately, it, I think it falls falls short. Like, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Deus Ex. Uh, I know it by name. Yeah, I've seen it's, some gameplay. That's it. It's a game that that actually had the same promise of you can play this game however you want. You can shoot your gun. You can go through all through all the game, shooting everyone, going guns blazing, machine gun, bazookas, whatever. Or you can be a hacker and just go backdoor through everything. You can be a sneaky sneak boy and go through the shadows and the ventilation. Uh, Or you can just have a non-lethal gameplay and you just speak your way to the finale. And all those things are viable and they're equally viable. And that's the more important part. Like if you have a map that funnels you into using a machine gun through the front corridor all the way to the back, it doesn't motivate you to try well, and find alternative that, routes. What do you mean equally viable? Like you mean that you viable. can finish the game in multiple ways? That's what you mean, right? You can, no, but it no, can't no, be it's equally more, viable. No, the equally viable as in well, equally viable. Uh, I don't mean you have twenty five percent chance of finishing. It's, it's right. as There's easy finishing easier, with a machine yeah, gun. Okay. Yeah, obviously there's okay. there are styles that benefit whatever, but the the game like how Cyberpunk is designed from what I've seen, is the game kind of funnels you into combat. Mm. So it gets really hard for, or you get very little reward or incentive to try other methods. Or you also Uh, level up... Just like life. Yeah. Or you also (laughs) level up so much that you kind of default to the easiest way to pass the level, and that often tends to be fighting, because you you level up you're the king of everything. You have every single stat, every single ability. You can sneak, you can jump, you can talk, whatever. But it's just easier to shoot because you don't have the patience anymore. So okay. that is not equally balanced. Deus Ex, for all its flaws, and trust me, it has a lot of flaws, it actually was pretty decently balanced. You could go through all these avenues and you could take satisfaction out of each gameplay. And that was kind of the promise Cyberpunk wanted to do, and I didn't see like it did. It, it felt more like Witchery. Witcher is also the same thing, where you can play as a, a potion master, as a swordsmith, or as a spellcaster. But the spells aren't really that good. The potions are a hassle, and kind of the, the sword play is the <laughs> just like life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just like life. Sword play is all that really that matters. So so just, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, guys. I think we're. Go, we'll go into the final thoughts and wrap it up. Yeah. Any final thoughts here? Um, shall we start with Sev? I, uh, this sort of shit is 
so crucial and at the same time so daunting like i always feel like as an as an artist whatever you do it feels like you're going to get ripped off <laughs> you don't know what what you're what you're protected what you can do what you're allowed to do uh it, and having just the right mind just having someone to help you uh, give advice and how to protect your, your intellectual property, how to value your intellectual property, and how to even sell it. I mean, Martin's not exactly a sales pitch, but he can tell me, dude, don't give away content for free, which was what I wanted to do for a very long time. I just wanted people to read the book. Um, like to have the, the right person uh, on your corner to actually uh, make sure that you give out the, the, the best product available is crucial to have a lawyer even though people like to uh bitch on lawyers saying that they're shit and they're blood-sucking ghouls people like to do that <laughs> oh yeah like <laughs> for sure i mean i was gonna just finish to say that there is this a twitter account like the um, the fuck the video game lawyer yeah whereas a guy that protects developers that protects uh ips of indie indie developers and even like uh, developers that are under crunch and everything, this video game lawyer makes an effort to try and 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 protect their rights. And I I kind of see Martini as a equivalent, maybe not in the state in the, for the United States or even for Twitter scale. But I would ask if it's all right for Martin uh, to have this uh, an, an account or to develop a Twitter or whatever to a, a link a Gmail so people can contact you in case they have doubts or questions about their own projects and see what is viable for them what is safe for them if it's all right with you martin ip lawyer reddit yeah. coming soon yeah um. i have to think about that one i mean it seems like an interesting <laughs> idea but it's it seems like a lot of work that's why uh, yeah yeah it's another time sink well uh in any case on my end i mean um I think it was extremely useful uh, to understand a little more about intellectual property. That means that coming forward, I'm more aware of these things, and perhaps I think of uh, of some caveats before you know I engage into any in, in, before I make any decision. So I think it's very useful, um, and especially in regards to creation, where you know I, I didn't know any difference between patents, trademark, copyright. So it makes it much more clear. And uh, to be, you know, where you can stand if you do try to make any money out of it. Because, I mean, at the end, we want to do this more, you know, not just as a hobby. And to do that, you need to, just like life, you got to, you know, <laughs> sometimes perhaps the best way to do it is just to go guns blazing. But if you want to do something else, you want a different avenue, you got to make money out of it, any, of it anyway. You need some incentive. So that was very useful. And I hope it was as well to the listeners. Any final thoughts, Marti? Yeah, I think um, so. I mean, I'm, I'm primarily a lawyer, but I also like to to create. So I, I feel like I can kind of get into the mind of of creators. And what I my impression is that somebody who likes to create is that's it. Like they like to create. They don't want to think about other things. They don't want to think about uh, associated stuff like marketing creations or legal issues around uh, creations. Shit, damn, I didn't so even on. touch that. But you're absolutely right. Jesus yeah, Christ. because that's what you like to do. You like to create. You don't want to bother yourself with the rest. And I think that's really understandable. But it is also kind of reckless. I think uh, I agree with Sev's observation that for complex matters related to the law, you should talk to lawyers. And you know, sometimes lawyers are a bit expensive, which is unfortunate. But usually you save more money by talking to a lawyer than making a bad deal. 
but like uh, every creator should have at least a basic understanding of intellectual property rights, understanding the different types of rights you have on the works that you created, how you can, uh, what you, what your leverage is when you're talking with publishers, what it means to assign rights, what it means to enter into a license agreement, what hap- what you should be aware of when you're looking at signing something with a big company that wants to use your work, uh, like they're going to try to exploit you. So even if you don't go to a lawyer, at least it's you can protect to. yourself minimally, right? So that's my recommendation to all listeners who are creators. Like if you can and you have and you're faced with a big deal, talk to a lawyer to help you out. But at least like uh, educate yourself minimally on IP. And, and there's a lot of resources that you can use online. You can go to the WIPO's website, which gives some good explanations on the basics. You can just Google copyright. What is copyright? And there's a lot of resources from official sources, from law firms and so on, which can help you out. I think it's one of the big important steps that you should take when you're trying to be a pro creator. Well, right. A financially viable creator. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise you're just going to get exploited. Well, I think we got to, we got to close the podcast. So, but don't worry, we'll be back in the future, we have a lot of topics still planned for the podcast, so stay tuned and subscribe to stay up to date. And as always, you will find us on YouTube and Spotify, and all links uh, will be in the description. And also, if you want to get in touch with Martin, we'll leave, uh, we'll drop some contacts as well. Um, so you can get in touch with him, you know, ask a question, bother him, pester him. You know, if he gets many, uh, many um, questions, maybe he'll start this Reddit. Who knows? Maybe <laughs> it's worth his while. <laughs> All right, so I'm Jay. I'm Sev. And I'm Martin. Artistry Podcast. Signing off.